This is Life Change Church, Muskegon. What are you doing while you listen? Driving, mowing the lawn, folding the laundry, multitasking? We're so glad you're here. Subscribe and share this weekly podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, on iTunes, or at mylifechangechurch.tv. Join us in person Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11.30, or catch us on Facebook Live. Here's Pastor Ron Rands. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, some of you, um, maybe you're here for the very, uh, this is your first time here. Thank you for coming and visiting. I believe God is going to work and touch your heart today. Others of you have been following along as we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, today, we're, as we talk about, you know, the first six chapters of Nehemiah really are about uh, the miraculous path of what God can do in a surrendered vessel. And I'm going to say this over and over. It is not your ability that does really a lot. It's your availability. It is not my ability. It's my availability. And yet every one of us can make ourselves available. You may say, well, I don't really have those gifts. I don't really have that. You, if you can make yourself available, God will do something supernatural. Let me tell you something about the, the thing that was that Nehemiah had to face before we jump into chapter six. Because today we're gonna be talking about facing the enemy. And the biggest enemy usually is the voice inside your head. That's the biggest one you have to overcome. And that's the one that says you're not a big deal. That's the one that says that you're not gonna make a difference. That's the one that says that, you know what, I, I, I don't, you know, my, what is my little part? What is my little gift? What is my little service? What is my little worship? What is my little activity really gonna, you know, make, uh, you know, how is it really gonna impact? That's the first one you have to get rid of. You're a link in God's chain of plan. That all of you are, and you're a vital part of his plan. And so Nehemiah had to face something that all of us probably don't really understand. First of all, the walls that Nehemiah had to build were two and a half miles long. Now, if you had to, remember, kind of a little history here. He's just traveled over 700 miles. And all he had was a word, all he had was his brother telling him the place is in ruins. And his heart was moved. Have you ever had that where all of a sudden somebody's marriage is in ruins and your heart is moved? Or you see some young person who's really struggling in their walk and your heart is moved. Or maybe when all of a sudden you see something that's going on in the children's ministry, or maybe it's the parking lot ministry, and you see my wife going over there crazy, you know, throwing something out. You see, somebody needs to help that woman. Well, that's my wife. <laughs> all right? Maybe God's moving upon your heart to do service unto our king. Amen? That's what happened to Nehemiah. But what he had to undertake was impossible, right? But nothing with God is impossible. Nothing with God is impossible. Two and a half miles, 40 feet high. 40 feet high, eight feet thick. So we're not talking about just building a house here with a you know, poured wall or some blocks, 13, you know. We're talking about two and a half miles and we're talking about 40 feet high and eight feet thick where all the gates were on fire, burned, and all the walls were just tore down. So all there is is rubble. So you have to clean off all that rubble and start restocking all that stone. He did it in 52 days. Can anybody say 52 days? 
It was impossible. So much so that the enemy laughed at him. When he showed up, they go, well, whatever. What could you ever do that's really going to make a difference? That's what the enemy did. What is really going to be, you know what? He wasn't threatened by it because the thing that was facing the day was impossible. But all of a sudden, what was impossible began to take shape and it was becoming possible. And see, I see that so many times where all of a sudden the enemy has worked on a marriage and it seemed like it would be impossible for it to come back together in union with God. And the enemy literally has just walked away. He said, man, they're, they're wrecking in their own city. I don't even need to get involved. They've done enough wreckage alone. It's just laid in disarray. And all of a sudden, God begins to work on a heart. And God begins to work on a disciple. Or, or God begins to work on somebody who would counsel. God begins to do what God always does. And that's love his people and love the world. For God so loved the world. And he's going to make it specific. And he begins to start touching a person's life. And he moves in a person's heart. And he moves in another person's heart. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, what was impossible becomes possible. Now that may not be as two and a half miles. They may not be 40 feet high. It may not be eight foot thick. But I tell you something that's just important to Jesus Christ. Or what happened with our young people when all of a sudden it looked like it was impossible for our young people to get to the One Heart Conference. And you could feel the disappointment that was Friday night here. You could feel the measure of what's going on. You could feel it in the leaders who had put so much thought and desire and, and plans together. You could see the distraction, the disappointment that was rising up. But yet God still is on sight. He's still here. And what he does, he moves in people. Now what happens so many times is, is the number one thing I want to hear you guys get is the enemy will distract you to think that you're not a vital part. You're not a vital part. That's the first thing I want you guys to understand. You are vital. I want all of you to say it, and I know you're going to have a hard time saying it. It says, I'm vital. Say it again like you mean it. Yes, you are. In Christ, God, it says, God says, in you, you shall live and move and have being. That's in Christ. What God can do through a surrendered, available saint is unbelievable. Absolutely. And here's Nehemiah, 70 years after this work started. Now remember, if you, you know, two weeks ago when we started this message, if you go back to that time period, you go, I'm sure Nehemiah thought, well, what can I do that Ezra didn't do? What could I do that Zerubbabel couldn't do? What can I do that Haggai and Zechariah couldn't do? These are all the great men of, I mean, great men of God that have been in this space, not to mention how many other great ones that were there but aren't mentioned. I'm guaranteeing you that Nehemiah had that thought. But he overcame the thought because something inside, he was moved by his heart. He was moved by what the Spirit of God was doing inside of him. This is how we need to be moved. The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit are the sons and daughters of God. How easy is it for us to be moved by our circumstances? How easy is it for us to be moved by the distractions and the disappointments of life? And I love it um, that my wife was just, you know, sharing with a, um, one of our kids the other day. And she says, look, don't let your disappointments distract you. We live in a time zone of disappointments. We live in it. We live in it globally, 
politically. We live in it when it comes down to physically. We live in it when it comes down to covenants and marriage. We live in it to in church-wise. It is a time space where we are living. So I want you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to try to unfold this about how do we face our enemy, all right? And remember, we don't face, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight a, a spiritual enemy, not a physical enemy. Okay, Nehemiah 6. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. You know what? This is what we should all be saying inside of us. Oh, no. All right? When the enemy begins to try to get in this track, distracted, oh, no. We're not going there. Not going there. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. The fifth time, Sambalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk over with me. I replied, there's no truth in any of this story. You are making up the whole thing. They were trying to intimidate us. You ever been intimidated? Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later I went to visit Shemaiah and Deliah, the grandson of Mehatel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight, acting like they're going to save his life. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I'm not going to do that. I realized that God had not spoken to him but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse me and discredit me. I want to share with you that when you get busy in life with God's plan, now every one of us have an assignment in life, and that is that we need to occupy, which means to take care of things in this world. You need to have a job so that there can be a commodity exchange through that job and so that you can receive some monetary blessing so that you can put food on your table and a covering over your head. God understands that and that is part of his design. That, but that's not your unique calling and design that God has. You also have a specific gift from heaven that God has called you to do. On top of taking care of your home, on top of taking care of your marriage, on top of taking care of your kids, on top, I mean, believe me, say, well, Pastor, I have 21 grandkids, I have seven children, I have a church. I, I understand the responsibilities are great on the outside, and all those are what God expects me to take care of. But I also have an anointing of God to finish. And easily I can be distracted. Do you know that here's a man of God, 
Here's Nehemiah. And the, what was happening is, is all they wanted to do is get him distracted. Get busy doing something, protecting himself. Get busy with maybe, that you know what, I can just maybe, maybe for this season, I can maybe, you know, do this for myself. This, there's always been these distractions. So I say the number one is, is that you don't realize you're vital. Number two is distractions. You will always face distractions. The enemy is going to put distractions, things, cares of this world, things that are going to be, feel like they're so important at the moment. And I'm speaking to the choir when I talk about this. I'm speaking to myself. There are always things that are constantly trying to bind me to this world and all the affairs of this life. And there are things that I need to take care of. If you're not paying your bills, you're not doing what God asked you to do. You need to pay your bills. I love what, you know what? I love it when they came to Jesus and says, hey, you haven't paid your taxes. And Jesus goes, go out fishing, get the tax. I mean, God is, Jesus didn't ask you not to do that. You need to pay your bills. Amen? You need to attend your marriage. You need to attend to your children. You need to be taking time. But you personally need a devotional space in the presence of God. You are a child of God and you need time with your Jesus. And you need to realize from that time that God has looked, I am going to have you link up to the grand design and that you're a vital part. And everything in this life is meant from the enemy to distract you. Good things aren't always right things. There's always going to be good things that will be in front of you that will try to distract you. You need to be hearing from the Spirit of God. Number one, Nehemiah's life changed and took on new meaning for himself and others, but was met with much resistance. When you, listen, the devil's not going to get, you know, get messing with you when you're trying to promote your life. You're trying to make more money, work more hours, get more overtime. He's never going to stop that. Never going to stop that. He'll encourage that. Because, you know, talking from a person who's, who has a problem with being a workaholic, he's going to encourage that. Are you sitting there realizing that what God can do with that overtime would be way more than you'll ever earn? I'll say that again, and I'll say that again. What God can do, God's already got a divine appointment. I'm blown away by this. He, this is the first time in all my vacations that God's already got a divine appointment for me to meet with somebody in Fort Lauderdale. I, I'm going to Fort Lauderdale, and he's already got a divine appointment waiting for me. One, I already know of another one he's already working on. So he's got me meeting with people in these divine spaces because you know what? My vacation's not mine. It's his. Yes, I'll have a great time. But God's already got an appointment because our lives are framed in a space of time. And he says, will God do something? And let me tell you something. Whatever time that I give to God, are you kidding me? You think that God ain't going to make it and bring it back? He'll add to it. He'll multiply it back. That's who our Jesus is. That's who our Jesus is. Number two, accusations can hinder or even stop your life from changing. You're going to be accused. How many of you get stopped when you get accused? I know that you say, well, Pastor, we're talking about, well, when I uh, moved to this area, God had really blessed me in, uh, in a home right on Lake Michigan. And uh, I don't have time to go into all of the things. I built it, and I, you know, and it was just a, it was a Jesus thing. But I struggled with it. I didn't want anybody to know. 
I wasn't bragging about God. I just want, I wanted to keep it silent because I was afro- so afraid that if anybody in the church knew that they'd leave the church over it. And so I just kept it silent. And God watched me because I knew that there were people that did know and there were accusations outside. There were people that were jealous and envious. They didn't know the story of God. They, they weren't the ones, hey, that, you know, I had seven kids and God had asked me to have a house that could house them all. They didn't know, they weren't, they weren't the ones that asked for that adoption. They weren't the ones stepping into that plan. But you know, it's amazing, those accusations. And you know what was funny is that people that were church people doing it. And so I was so afraid that what God had called me to be is he called me to pastor a church. And then I was so afraid that anybody would find out. And I remember when I had a Corvette. And uh, anyway, I got rid of it for one reason. And that, that, it wasn't because I didn't enjoy it. All right, I got rid of it for one reason, because of people in the jealousy and people in the church. You know, they were going over there. And I'm thinking, my, my goodness, you know, I had a truck that cost more than the Corvette and nobody ever said anything about the truck because of people's images and their thinking. Well, they can, you know, and so what I've learned is this, is so many of us are framing our lives because of what other people say, me included. Nehemiah didn't frame his life because of what people said. He framed his life because of what God said. And here's what God has spoken over my life years ago. He says, I'm going to make you a New Testament Nehemiah. But yet when I was already sitting in that space of test, I failed. I failed. And you know what's so amazing out of this? I tried to sell that house for 10 years and God wouldn't sell it because he was trying to teach me a lesson. And the whole reason I wanted to sell it is because I just didn't want anybody to sit and gossip and accuse me anymore. I was just tired of it. I can't even imagine Nehemiah was underneath way more weight of it. Way more weight of it. There are going to be people jealous of your marriage. You, God starts shining in your marriage. There are going to be people jealous of it. There are going to be people that are malicious about it. There are going to be people that accuse. There are going to be people that lie and say all manner of stuff. Are you going to listen to what th- they say? and try to adjust your life to it? Or are you going to listen to what God says? What is God speaking? You say, well, Pastor, I don't even know what God speaks. Well, then let's start there. Let's start right there. Let's come to this altar together. Let's seek our God. What is he saying for your marriage? What is he saying for your kids? If you're not hearing the voice of God inside of that space, it is well time to hear because God is speaking. Here's what he showed me this morning in my own prayer closet. He goes, my, he says, my people, talking about God's people, many of us are literally like, all we are is like barriers, seawalls. And the waves of God's spirit are coming and pounding against the seawall and we're not moving. God says, I want my people to get on a surfboard and surf the wave. To ride that wave, to ride the anointing. Here's here's Nehemiah who hears the Spirit of God move on his heart. He's so broken by what God wants to do. And he's 900 miles away from the situation. It takes three months to journey. You imagine what his mind is thinking as he's journeying there. And then he sees it, it's way worse than he ever imagined. It's impossible. And then he's got all of these people that are accusing him and saying all manner of evil against him. He faces that battle and says, God, unto you. And he stirs himself up even to the point where he's more determined to do what God's called him to do. 
Number three, your enemy will try to mislead you and keep you from God's plan in your life. He will do that. And the enemy is a, you know, he'll whisper, he did for me. He'll do for you. He'll misguide you. He'll discourage you. He'll bring disappointments. He'll bring lies. And you will try to shape your life because you just feel like, well, if somebody, if I'm loved, if we not, do we not live in that generation? If I'm loved, then it's okay. It's not about being loved by man. It's being first of all loved in the kingdom and then let God's favor pour through that. How many of us have got the thing all mixed, mixed, messed up? We're seeking this to get to this. We're supposed to seek this to get to this. So if I'm struggling with my kids, I need to seek this to get to this. If I'm struggling with my marriage, I need to seek this to get to this. If I'm struggling in my calling of God, I need to seek this to get to this. Number four, if distractions or lies don't keep you from finishing God's work, then intimidation is on its way. The enemy will try spiritual intimidation. We want others to link up with us. We want, it's one thing they question your accomplishments. It's a lot more when they question your motives. The statement that some people are saying, it means they're saying it. Nehemiah prays to strengthen himself in following God's plan. Are you doing that? Are you praying and you seeking? Say, God, I want to be strengthened in this plan. When, you're, when you're, your kids are, you know, going off and doing some crazy nonsense, or their thinking is, are you complaining about it? Are you praying about it? I'm going to read uh, a passage that talks about um, the miraculous thing that God did. Here's the reason God did this in Nehemiah. It's captured right in, 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 it's captured in Scripture right here in, in Nehemiah 6. So on October 2, and you're not going to see it here, so just listen. It's like, I think it starts with like verse 15. But anyway, let me, just listen. So on October 2, the wall was finished. 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and they were humiliated. They realized this work had not been done, that this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shekinah, son of Era, and his sons, Jehonham, was married to the daughter of Meshulah, son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told him everything I had said. Basically what it's saying is this, is that Nehemiah is recognizing the whole purpose was to show the world how big God is. So when God does something miraculous inside of your marriage, what God did miraculous inside of the bus thing this weekend, it's because of God. God wants to show off. Why does God do that? Because he's a big God. And what, what, is, what is mankind made of him? We have made that the only time that the world talks about God is when they have something to complain about. Why did God allow this? Why did, and you know when the time God's not talked about? When some big deal happens. Church, it's time 
to boast in the Lord. One of the first things I'm going to ask of Christian, first thing I'm going to be asking, I says, I want video testimonies. I want video testimonies every week. I want us to capture. I want them, so if God's doing something great in your life, do not be the best kept secret. Step it, all right? Tell the world, tell the church, let us capture it on video, and then we can go over there, get online, and tell the whole world how big our Jesus is. That's the point we need to do. See, that day, the whole world has been watching Jerusalem, still watching Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting? And they're looking at it and going, it's a wreck. It's a wreck. I mean, is your life a wreck? Let God touch it. Because as God touches it, what could he do in 52 days? What could he do in 52 days with surrendered people available in their walk with God. I want to get prepared for communion. And then we're going to be worshiping communion. If you've never taken communion in our church before, it's kind of different. What we do is, is uh, we ask that you take um, the, the cracker and the, and the juice and that you take it back. You can, go, you can go remain at the altar here. And, uh, or you can um, go to back to your seat. I, I do not care that you go sit by the wall I don't, I don't even care if you're going to go up in one of the upper rooms. I, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, that's fine between you and Jesus, all right? But communion is meant, just like it sounds, you and God. And communion was meant for two things. 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about, and we're going to read, if you could put the passage up there. And while I'm doing that, what it was meant to do is, uh, it was a time of reflection. It was a time where we were supposed to thank our God for what he did we couldn't do. And the payment, the, the, the gruesome sacrifice that Jesus undertook for our, our sins. And then what it was supposed to do, which I think is missing huge, is proclaim his soon coming. That he's coming back. How many of you are talking about he's coming back? He's coming back. And, you know, and say, well, so many people go, well, man, we've been talking about that for 2,000 years, you know? You've been talking about that for 2,000 years. And so I'm, I'm glad that you're on that subject. So I'm going to read a, a couple passages to you. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23, So for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people. In agreement, confirm with my blood. Do this in remembrance as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Say it with me. He comes. Again. Until he comes again. The whole point of communion was, is that, yes, he died on that cross, but he's coming again. He's coming again. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for him coming back? And you know, when if communion was a space where we take into this, you know, what God does in this sacrament, in the presence of this sacrament, it's, it's, it's hard, it's spiritual, it's, 
It's something that comes inside of your life. There's a presence of God inside of this covenant. And, you know, the, the Bible talks about people got frustrated with the weight that is coming. They got frustrated. In 2 Peter 3, 3, there's this capture of that moment. Most, most importantly, I want you to remind you that the, in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth, following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was created. So that's the same thing today. People are going, yay, whatever, I've been hearing about that forever. I got time. God's never, God has never said that we're supposed to just live out this world, the pleasures of this world, because we got time for his second coming. God says we're supposed to live out his presence and proclaim his soon coming return. And I want to read one more passage before we close. It's found in Revelations chapter 19. This is just the most, some of the most exciting things to think about. Then I heard again what sounded like a shout in a vast crowd or a roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of a loud thunder. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to this wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Now many scholars will argue when this marriage supper of the Lamb is, and I'm not here to debate that. But everything that God has done since sin started with Adam and Eve was planned for this one day. How many of you that have ever gone down that aisle of getting married, how, many, how much time there's planning? Now I want you to make that thousands of years of planning. And so many people, how many of you go over there and go, well, the invite, I mean, I can't afford this invite. How many people are coming? And God goes, I paid for it with my own blood. It's going to be the most special day where all of us together, the saints that died before and the saints that are living in that day, we're all together, connected. Moses is there. Aaron's there. Rahab is there. Mary's there. The disciples are there. Jonah's there. All the spaces, all of them are in one place. worship and then here comes Jesus the groom of all grooms who's paid a price beyond imagination and has waited so long for each and every one of us just to make a decision and in that decision follow through that's what marriage is isn't it you make a decision and you follow through so you make a decision to follow Jesus and then you follow it through. What a beautiful day that moment's going to be. I can't wait for that. I can't wait to see all my brothers and sisters. And some of them that have, you know, I don't, even, I don't know and have passed on, I can't wait to see Grandpa Beerling, my hero. 
who I know who held me as a baby and prayed for me for many years in the chaos that I first started this life in. I can't wait for that moment. I can't wait for all those other moments where I get to be introduced to people that prayed for me because I was such a knucklehead. <laughs> Mr. Harris, you praying for me? <laughs> anyway, uh, what a time. And all of us united for one thing, for his presence and his love and hope and peace. So would you please bow your heads, close your eyes. Before we take communion, if you're not right with Jesus right now, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Or maybe you are in a space of recommitment. Maybe you've lost your way and you're here today and God has brought you here. That's that's who our God is. And he's kindling that love and he's kindling that fellowship all over again. And you're coming back in this prayer, these words, these promised words to him. Then take communion. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Father God, in Jesus' name, here I am. I surrender all into your hands. I worship you, and I surrender to your plan that Jesus paid for my sins. He died on the cross for my life. In Jesus' name, I'm all here for you, God. And I receive your forgiveness, your love, your peace, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pray for the communion right now, and as we worship God, we're going to get out of our seats and come up here as you, you know what, just as you feel led, there's no usher that's going to usher you out to you, just as you feel led during worship, and any time during the worship, you're going to take the condiments right up here, right up here, there's each one of these little, uh, I don't know what they call these things. They're little. There's a cracker as you unfold this in the top. But this represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we take communion, we are proclaiming and acknowledging that he died for our sins and that he's soon coming back. Amen? Father, I thank you for the sacrifice that your son laid. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. I pray your presence unfolds. I pray chapters in our life, God, of understanding of, Lord, how vital we are in your plan. I pray that it's literally imparted inside of our hearts as we take communion today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, please stand up and let's worship our King and let's take communion too. If you liked this message, we want you to share it. Subscribe to more podcasts through mylifechangechurch.tv. Get involved. Ask for prayer. Share your story. Go to mylifechangechurch.tv. I'm Karma Adams, producer. We'll see you next week.